Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. The privilege today of studying Parsha's Vayishlach, a critically important as every Parsha is, but really has a tremendous staying power because it continues to inform our sense of diplomacy until this very day. I want to thank our generous Parsha series sponsors, Dr. Ba- uh, Becky, sorry, Becky and Avi Katz, and family in memory of David Grossman, Le'ilunishmas, David Ben, Menachem Manish. I also want to dedicate our Parsha share this morning to uh, someone who just passed away, unfortunately, very sadly, Dr. Gil Mellon. Dr. Gil Mellon lives in Woodfield Country Club. I never had the privilege of meeting him. Very young man who uh, passed away after being diagnosed with an illness only in June uh, and uh, just passed away yesterday. His family called me because apparently he loved to listen to the Pasha class and though we never met and he never came here, he wanted to meet before he left this world and so we spent some time together on Sunday and I just learned of his passing so I want to dedicate our learning in his memory and also be a reminder in life, never wait. Never wait until it's too late. Take advantage at every moment. There's someone you want to meet or spend time with or have lunch with or coffee with or be in conversation with. Don't ever wait. His uh, neshama Shadavan Aliyah was a very special person to his family, to his community and beyond. Uh, Dr. Gil Mellon, Allah HaShalom. Okay, Parshas Vayishlach, page 170 in the Art Scroll Stone, Chumash. Vayishlach Yaakov, Malachim Lefanav, Aleisav Achiv, Artsa Seir Sedei Edom. It's time for the big reconciliation. It's time for the big reunion. After 34 years of being apart, 14 years has been learning Yeshiva, Shem Ve'ever. I don't know how Yaakov negotiated that with his parents, 14 years in Yeshiva, but he did. Like, what what year are you up to? Shana Bet, Shana Gimel, Shana Yudalad. I think you stopped counting by then. I don't think you're no longer saying, any longer saying what, what Shana, what year you are. So 14 years in Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever, 20 years working for Lavan. He's now got two wives, many children, lots of assets and property, and it's time to reunite. He wants to reunite with his brother before what? The passing of his father. Why? Because he feels he's got a much better shot. Esav might be much more likely more predisposed to reconciling if Yitzchak is still alive because Esav excels at what mitzvah? So his father, of course, Yitzchak would want that reconciliation. He stands a much better shot than waiting till Yitzchak's gone. Esav, so to say, has nothing to lose. So still in his father's lifetime, he wants to try to reconcile. And Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefanav, he sends Malachim ahead of him. Zagdrashi, Malachim, angels. Normally in the text, when we encounter the word Malachim, what does it mean? Angels. Here, Rashi goes out of his way to say Malachim Mamish. Literally, Malachim, literally ambassadors, literally agents, literally messengers. Why are they called Malachim? Why didn't he send angels? As in the angelic celestial beings of Hashem. Why does he send Malachim Mamish people? Now is not the time. I think we've spoken about it in the past. Ibn Ezra is a fascinating insight, but you know what's higher than an angel? A person who acts like an angel. Our mission is to be angels for one another, to be agents, to be ambassadors, to be activists, to be uh, those who represent one another, advocates for one another. Malachim Mamish, a human being who cares enough to go out of the way to help to act on behalf of another, is a Malach Mamish, is literally acting as an angel. So this is a very reference, I alluded to the fact that this is a very, very significant Torah portion, not only because it's our Parsha for this week, but because of what it represents. And in fact, the Otsar Pelos HaTorah tells us, There used to be an old ancient Jewish custom, some still observant. observe it. 
that a person is going to be traveling, a person is going to be journeying from their home that week. And here we have a lot of, the world is global. We have a lot of uh, snowbirds, seasonal people. We have a lot of people who go back and forth between New York and Florida. Know that there was an ancient custom that the Motzei Shabbos, before you leave, before you embark on a journey, Lifnei Nesiyasa, what do you read? Parshas Vayishlach. To read this parsha, you're setting out on a journey, you have a destination, you're going to have to traverse some territory. So there was a custom to read Parshas Vayishlach, the Motzei Shabbos, before you leave. This is an ancient, this is an old minag. Where does this minag come from? The idea that you're going out, you have an important journey, you have an important business trip, that you read this parsha before, and it comes from none other than Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yudha Nasi, Kimavur B'Medrash B'Rishis Rabbah. The Medrash on our parsha teaches, Perek Ayin Ches, Shekinag Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Likras Parshas Vayishlach, Kodem Shehalach El HaKesar. Before Rabbi Yudha Nasi would go, and his friend was the Caesar, was the great general, and before he would go and represent the Jewish people and their interests, before he would go meet with them for acts or conversations of diplomacy, didn't matter what parsha it was, didn't matter which time of the year, he would always read parshas vayishlach. Uperish Ramban, shahaisa kabbalah biadam, shezu parshas galos. You want to know what the playbook is, how to navigate the galos? What's the formula? Where's the playbook? Where's the instruction manual? How do we navigate this deep, dark exile? How do we navigate a rise of anti-Semitism? How do we navigate having to confront the Asavs of our generation? How do we navigate difficult conversations in exile? The answer is Parshas Vayishlach. When you're living among Gentiles, when you're living among potentially hostile hosts, what do you say? How do you navigate? What do you do? The answer is, go back to the precedent. How did Yaakov navigate his relationship, this reconciliation with Esav? It went so far that when Rabbi Danasi, a very wealthy man, who was good friends with this Roman general, when he would take leave of him, and they offered him an escort home, a police escort. Rabbi Danasi, a great man, a great friend, a great peer. Why should you have to sit in traffic? Why should you be in danger at risk? We'll send you a police escort. Rabbi Danasi invariably always turned it down. And why did he turn it down? Because he continued to follow the playbook of Yaakov and Esav, not only on his way there, but on his way out, on his way from. And when Esav says, "New no, Yaakov, we hugged, we kissed, we made up, Lou, no, let's go together. What does Yaakov say? I'm not going to press my luck. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I got a lot of wives. I've got a lot of kids. They're very slow. They need to take a lot of bathroom breaks. You go ahead. You go fast. You go ahead. I don't want to keep you. So Rabbi Danasi deduced, he learned from that, not only what to do on the way in to those conversations, but on the way out. One time Rabbi Danasi didn't have time or he forgot and he didn't read this parsha before he went in. And so he agreed because he had forgotten the playbook. He didn't review the instruction manual. So he agreed to be escorted home with an entourage. He had to bribe that escort. He had to bribe those armed guards. 
And so he had to sell all that he had on him in order to bribe them for protection. You're invited to a meeting with a congressman, the person, a senator, the person of influence, a person of power. You're going to sit in the Roosevelt room. Before you go and before you sit down, you read Parshas Vayishlach. And in fact, this is what happened. We just showed a film on Motzei Shabbos. 300 people came and sat outside on the lawn. Beautiful weather, a beautiful night. Thank you, Hashem. A wonderful documentary done about Menachem Begin. Feel honored to have been a small part of it. And uh, when Menachem Begin, this is not in the film, in the documentary, it does talk about that when he won against all odds and he became prime minister and he came to New York to meet with some great rabbis. There was some pictures of him in the Babacher Rebbe, but it doesn't say what they spoke about. When Prime Minister Begin came to New York to prepare for the critical meetings with, with uh, Sadat and Carter, he stopped in New York on his way to Washington and he met individually with three great rabbis. Anyone who they were? Lubavitcher Rebbe, that was in the documentary, gave it away. Who else? Rav Soloveitchik and Rav Moshe Feinstein. He met with three great rabbis on his way to this important meeting and negotiation, which would have enormous impact, consequence for the Jewish people in Israel. And it is reported that in all three meetings, all three, Soloveitchik, Lubavitcher Rebbe and Rav Moshe all told him, read Parshas Vayishlach before you go into the White House. You have to read Vayishlach before you engage in that conversation, before you engage in that conversation. The Ma'aril quotes the story a little bit differently, and Otsar plus Atorah has a big discussion of this, but we have the Minog. Not only when you're going into a place of power, we'll have an audience with somebody of influence, but he quotes a custom anytime you're going to be traveling that week, the Motzei Shabbos before, Vayishlach, the story of a journey and how we navigate our way and how we make our way. So he does three things. He sends three things. We all know the story. He prepares in three ways. Here's the message. Here's what I want you to get across. Go ahead. I want you to go and, and spy, investigate a little bit. And I want you to get the following message across. Tell my brother that your servant Yaakov, you know where I've been? 34 years. A long time. Why didn't you make any effort? Not one text, not one email, not one postcard. Why didn't you try sooner? Where were you? Tell him I'm Lavan Garti. I was living with Lavan, and I was delayed ad ata until this point. I was living and I was delayed until this point. Says Rashi, Garti is begematria taryag. Klomar Lavan harasha Garti, v'taryag mitzvah shamarti, v'lomalamadati mimaasim Says Rashi, you know where I was? I was living with Lavan, but Yaakov embeds in. Now, lest you think your holy brother Yaakov, while you were out hunting for women and for money, and you were at the casino gambling, and you were experimenting with drugs and alcohol, and your brother Yaakov was always the goody two-shoes, sitting and studying, sitting and learning, and now you're going to smile, and now you're going to have some, some joy. I was living with Lavan. You think that I was influenced? No. Im Lavan Garti. Garti is... Gematria Taryag, no, I didn't compromise in iota. I didn't compromise whatsoever. Taryag mitzvah shamarti. I observed, I kept everything. I didn't learn anything. I wasn't influenced in iota. We've quoted in the past a beautiful insight, I forgot from whom. That Yaakov was actually saying something to indict himself. 
He was not advocating for himself. He was actually criticizing himself. Why? I didn't learn anything from him. That's a good thing, no? Why would that be a negative? Because how did Lavan perform? How did Lavan pursue his ma'asav hara'im? With a passion, with a zeal, with an enthusiasm. And Yaakov said, I didn't learn from him. I could have learned what not to do. I could have learned the same excitement and enthusiasm that he devoted to pursue the wrong thing, I could have learned to, to apply that to do the right thing. But I didn't learn, I didn't learn. Now many ask, among them, how in the world can Yaakov with a straight face assert that I observed all Tariq mitzvahs? Can anyone here raise their arm, raise their hand and say, I keep all Tariq mitzvahs? Can anyone say, I've lived in hostile environments. I lived in difficult circumstances. I lived in challenging times. I want you to know I observed all Tariq mitzvahs. Why is it no one can say that? Did someone here perform both Yibam and Chalitza? Anyone here do the Avodah and the Beis HaMikdash? Mitzvahs Hatzliyos Baaretz, if you live in Chutzlaaretz, there's a long list, a litany of mitzvahs that were simply ineligible to perform. You cannot have the status simultaneously that would make you qualified to keep all Tariq mitzvahs. It's impossible. So what did Yaakov mean? Im lavangarti, tarik mitzvah shamarti. What do you mean? How is that possible? How is that possible? So, those are plus Torah suggests, maybe we can understand, based on a Gemara in Menachos. The Gemara Menachos teaches, We have a notion that sometimes when a person is devoted to studying a portion, a part of Torah, it is as if they kept it. It's not the same thing to actually act, to perform, to observe, to keep, to behave, but to study, to engage the head, the heart, and the soul in the topic, it is as if one kept it. Maybe Yaakov says, no, no, listen, I can't keep everything. I'm not a Kohen Levi in Yisrael at the same time. I didn't do Yibam and Chalitza, but I've learned, I've studied, I'm committed to, and I'm connected with the totality of Torah. There is no part of Torah that I'm not part of. And I think it's important when you think about it in this sense. And he continues, he quotes, Yeshar Mitzvah Shloya Lakayim, Yona. Rabbeinu Yonah writes in Sharei Tshuva Shar Beis Os Yud. These are the words of Rabbeinu Yonah. Kya isha shakibal anafsho belev ne'eman, lishmor v'lasos al piyat Torah asher yoruhu, v'al piyat mishpat asher yomru lahayoshim al mishpat, yish piyado min ha'yom hazeh schar al kol mitzvos, al asher shama ozno midivrei ha'Torah v'tavin lahem, v'al advar ma'asher lo gozlu, lo galu ozno aleim adana, v'tzadik lavash v'kan eschus al niglos ilav al kol ha'ne'alam. Says Rabbeinu Yonah, you know you can keep all taryag, without keeping all taryag, by caring about and being committed to and believing in all taryag. He doesn't write this, but it occurs to me. The Gemara tells us in Yevamos, Shulchan Aruch quotes, and we practice halacha lamaisa. I have more conversion meetings tomorrow. Mirza Hashem, we're doing a conversion this Friday. And we ask a convert both in a meeting and while they're in the mikvah, are you committed to keep all mitzvahs, all taryag? What do you mean? They should look up and say, I'm not even Jewish yet. I'm not a Kohen, a Levi, Yisrael. I can't do Yibam and Chalitza. I can't. Don't you know anything, rabbis of the Beisden? Don't you know anything, Dayanim? It's impossible for one person to keep everything. So how could you ask me to be Mechabal Kol Torah, to be Mechabal all mitzvos? The Gemara says, a person who accepts all mitzvos, chutz mi davar echad, 
Chutz mitzvah achas is not eligible for conversion. Let's say a person says, look, I believe in it all. It's beautiful. It enhances life. It comes from the omnipotent God, except for shatnas. Shatnas makes no sense to me. I'm not willing to check my clothing for wool and linen. I just don't buy into it. It doesn't make sense. I'm out. I'm willing to keep everything except Kolisha. I love the opera. I can't give it up. I'm going. I can't do it. Makes no sense to me. Doesn't apply today. I'll do everything but Kolisha. Will you convert such a person? Does it depend if it's Daraisa, Darabana? Does everybody agree? Is there a minority opinion? Why are they saying they won't keep it? What's the halacha? We once had a woman we were converting who had survived cancer, had recovered from cancer. And she said, my hair means a lot to me. Not just fashion or vanity or looking in the mirror, but I didn't have my hair when I was undergoing chemo. And now every time I see my own hair, when I'm in public, it's a reminder to me that I've survived. So I can't cover my hair. I believe in the mitzvah, but I just can't do it emotionally. I can't do it. Is that chutz midavar echad? These are interesting questions. But the Gemara, the halacha paskins, that if a person says, I'll keep all mitzvahs except for one thing. So think of how remarkable that is. I'll tell you, sadly, we've had candidates who when we've tested how much they're observing, and this isn't part of the parsha, I gotta get back to the parsha. But when we're talking to them about what they're observing, they'll say, rabbis, you know you have some members who pick and choose? That's the kind of Jew I want to be. <laughs> you know, I've come to be integrated into a community. So there's some who keep kosher rigorously and vigilantly in their home and out of their home, but you have some members who eat out. That's, that's what I'm going for. Can I sign up for that level? And it's sort of an indictment on us and on our community. It's a sad statement to a certain degree that we're not judging everyone. Everyone's on a journey. Everyone's on their own place. Last Shabbos, we spoke about the rungs of the ladder. Everyone's on their own rung. Doesn't matter which rung, but it matters which direction you're heading. So we're not judging, but it is an indictment that when someone who says, I want to embrace and pursue, and I want to become Jewish, engages a community and says, oh, there's a menu of which way? I can be part of the community that picks and chooses? So the halacha says, you can't. You can't. So someone who says, chutz midavarechen. So how, what's the answer back to the convert in the mikvah, who when we say, do you accept to keep all of mitzvos? They say, well, I can't keep all of mitzvos, Rabbi, because we're not in Israel, so I can't observe trumas and maestros, and I can't do yibam and chalitza, and I can't do the avod and the beis amikdash, I'm a convert, I'm not a kohen. What would our answer back be? We're not asking you to technically keep all of mitzvos. We're asking you, do you believe in the divine nature of all mitzvos? Do you believe that they're all from Hashem? Do you believe that they're his blueprint for creation? Do you believe they're part of his prescription for humanity? That's what we're asking. So says Rabbeinu Yonah, that's maybe what it means. When Yaakov says, Im shamarti, doesn't mean I kept, because you can't keep. And says the Otsar plus Torah, it's very meduyuk. Because what does Rashi say? Listen to this, it's geshmak. Yaakov Avinu doesn't say, Im lovangarti v'tariag mitzvos, asisi, kiyamti, what does he say? Tarek mitzvos, shamarti. He doesn't say, I kept all tarek mitzvos. He says, I safeguarded all tarek mitzvos. I protected, I, I represented, I advocated for all tarek mitzvos. That is really what's going on. Otoplos HaTorah, my new favorite sefer, then goes on here for pages and pages to talk about where do we get the idea of tarek mitzvos? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? So the smag, 
In his Haktama writes, Yesh Adam Lida Yisoda shall come and says Hashtiva Donakol. Afa Pisha Enam Trichan Atabizmanaze. You have to know all Tarang Mitzvos, even though we can't keep them all today. There is a notion of studying, of knowing. There are people who memorize all Tarag. Chuvas Radvaz, Simon Tuf Tuf Kuf Memches, writes, Humachzik Tamit Itzal Sefer Katan Mauch Kasav Bo Remze Tarag Mitzvos. He carries in his pocket a little booklet so that he could review all 613 mitzvahs on a regular basis. Yisod Shorosh Vavoda writes, Kodem Limo Tarik Mitzvahs Yomar L'Shem Yichud Harin Yerotza Lulmo Tarik Mitzvahs Shativa Liyabori Yisbar Hashem of Yisala V'Kavanasi Kedei Leida Lizar Ba'am Lishmer Lassos Osam Yisod Shorosh Vavoda had a little nusach as if there's a mitzvah to review the Tarik Mitzvahs L'Shem Yichud Kudshu Brichu I'm now gonna chaz a Tarik Mitzvahs with a commitment to safeguard, to protect, to advocate all of them. The Sefer Elof Ksav he quotes in the in the um, in the study of the Stechemed, he had a clock, a big clock, and he would look up at the clock all the time. And his family wondered, how come when he was learning, he would stop and look up at the clock? He'd be in a conversation, he'd stop, he'd look up at the clock. Why was he always looking at the clock? And he answered, because embedded in the clock were hints and allusions, signs for all Tariq mitzvahs. So every now and then he'd look up as he would review the clock, as the hands of the clock went, it would remind him and he was able to review all of Tariq all of Tariq Mitzvos. Where's the first reference in Chazal for Tariq Mitzvos? Mesech Shabbos. It says, Ma Pesach Shu Echel Me Tariq Mitzvos, Shabbos Dav Pezayin. Just like the Pesach is one of the 613 Mitzvos, and we see it elsewhere in Shas. Most notably, Mesech Makos, comes after Mesech Shabbos. Dav Chav Gimel, Sheish Meos Shlosh Shesoy Mitzvos Nemrlul Moshe, Shlosh Meos Veshisham Chamesh Lavin, Kaminyan Yemosachama, Masayim Arbam Shemona Asay Kenegir Evar Shal Adam, Maikra Torah Tzivalon Moshe, Morasha. Torah begematria shusmeya v'chad sarehava anochi v'lo yelacha mipiagvura sham anum. So we learn it from the pasuk Torah tivalanu Moshe Morasha gematria, and we learn six thirteen, and therefore we have a combination. Jews have a combination for their luggage. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And he's the first one to write. So the Gemara Makos tells us there's six hundred and thirteen bases on a pasuk. How do you now go through all of Torah? and identify which are the 613. So the first one to do it was the Sefer Halachas Gedolos. Rabbeinu Shimon Kaira, one of the great Gaonim of Bavel. So he was the first to write the Sefer Mitzvos Gedolos. And then we have Rasad Yigo and the Rambam, the Chinuch, Smag, the Smak. We have countless who then undertook this project. We have a tradition of 613. How am I going to squeeze many more into 613? What will be my rules and my criteria, my principles, that will guide me to be able to reduce many more into 613 to count the 613. The Rambam and the Sefer HaMitzvos, the Rambam's Hasagos, arguing on the Rambam's rules of the Sefer HaMitzvos. We have Rabbi Shlomo Ibn Gabriel. We have many, many, many more did that in the all comes here. Tariag Mitzvos Shamarti. Imlavan Garti. Ravoba makes another great point. Says Ravoba, where did Yaakov Avinu get the fortitude and the spiritual resilience to observe the Tariq Mitzvos. Rashi writes, Garti, I lived, 613. So says Ravoba in his Shirei Chumash, and our parish is something brilliant. He says, you know why Lavan was able, you know why Yaakov was able to say Tariq Mitzvah Shamarti? Because he says, Im Lavan, Garti. What does the word Garti mean? What's a ger? A stranger. What did Avram Avinu tell Ephron? 
Ger v'toshav anochi imachem. I'm just visiting. I'm passing through. I'm a ger. I'm a tourist. I'm a visitor. I'm passing through. Ger v'toshav. I'm both a resident. I live here. I don't have any state income tax because I spend one day more than 50% of my time in Florida. I'm a toshav. I'm a toshav. But really, I'm a ger. Some of you are like that. I don't have state income tax. I spend uh, 50% of my time in one day. So my tax purposes, but really I'm still a New Yorker. I've been a New Yorker. I'm a ger. I'm a ger. Ger, for tax purposes, I'm a toshav. For culture purposes, double parking. I'm a, I'm a ger. I'm a ger. So Yaakov Avinu was saying, Im lavan garti. You know how he was able to say targumetzvah shamarti? Because garti. 20 years is a long time. Think about where you were 20 years ago. What has transpired in the last 20 years of your life? 20 years is a long time. But the entire time that Yaakov lived with Lavan, you know what he didn't do? He never unpacked. He never unpacked, literally or figuratively, but he never moved in. He never became a permanent resident. He never changed his address. He remained Garti and says, Ravoba, that's why he was able to confidently say, Tariq Mitzvah Shamarti. When we, are to, we let down our guard and we assimilate into the society around us and we forget that we're just visitors. This is a foreign country. It's a very hospitable country. It's incredible. It's blessed us in innumerable ways. But we're just guests here. We're, we're Gerim. We're just visiting. We're just visiting. And we have to remember that. He says there's some truth to the claim that assimilation is a natural process. If a person behaves like the non-Jews around him, it'll lead to assimilation. He re- Revolba lived in Sweden for eight years during and after the Second World War. And he had a lot of occasions to observe the Swedish customs. On the 20th of December, the local residents would dance around a roasted pig. On the longest day of the summer, the entire populace, men, women, and children would dance around a tall tree and sing children's songs. Even if there's nothing intrinsically wrong, technically, there's a danger in adopting foreign customs that will make us continuously or increasingly forget who we are and how we're different and how to maintain that balance. Look around this great country, which has blessed us in so many ways, that now there's a 70% intermarriage rate outside of orthodoxy. And look at the assimilation rates. Torah says, Don't follow the practices of those around you. It says Revolba, the word chok comes from the word chek. Chek means a person's chest. A country's customs stem from the heart of the nation. And if you join those customs and you feel connected to the heart of that nation, you'll forget the beat of your own heart. And it's easy to lose yourself. And the way that, the way that Yaakov Avinu was able to maintain and confidently be able to say, Tarek Mitzvah Shamarti, was because he was only Garti. He never became a Tosha with Lavan. He remained a, a Ger. So he prepares Pasachas. What does he do? Yaakov gets afraid. He's concerned. Maybe he'll be unworthy. Maybe God won't save him. Maybe Esau will, in fact, annihilate him. He divides the people and the flock, cattle, and camels into two camps. He introduces us to a very important concept called what should you do with your investments? Diversify. If you diversify and you divide, you mitigate risk. If you go all in, in one way, then you take on enormous risk. But if you diversify, then you can mitigate some of the risk. You can't eliminate, but you will mitigate some of the risk. 
Says Rab Nachman, there's a very powerful lesson here. Not only about our physical enemy, the physical enemies of our world, like a Esav, but a powerful lesson also of the spiritual enemies. Says Rav Nachman, When Yaakov hears that Esav is marching towards him with 400 people, he's afraid, so he divides his family into two camps. Says the holy Rav Nachman of Breslov, Life, is life not a battle and a war against our Yetzirah? We don't always win. Sometimes we stay in bed, we don't make it to Minyan. Sometimes we don't keep up that promise or pledge for the learning we were going to do. Sometimes we give in to our rage or our anger and fly off the handle, speak in ways we regret. Sometimes we look at things that we've promised that we're going to stop looking at. We don't always win. Sometimes we see, I'm not winning. I'm losing. How many times have I tried to stop looking at things I shouldn't look at? How many times have I promised to stop speaking Lashon Hara? How many times have I said I'll make it to Minyan or not talk during Davening? How many times have I said I'll never raise my voice or lose my patience or complain? So what do we want to do when that happens? We give up. We give up on ourselves and we don't believe we're capable and we don't believe we'll achieve. And we say, you know, if I look at that late at night at the internet, then what's the point of going to Minyan early the next morning? What's the point? What's the point of learning the daf yomi, of going to the daf, if then maybe I sometimes struggle to submit receipts as business expenses, even though they weren't? So what's the point of going to the daf if I'm not entirely honest to my income taxes? We sometimes feel that it's all or nothing. And if I'm not going to be pious and righteous and virtuous entirely, then why bother either even striving? Why have ambition? Why ever trying? So Rabbi Nassim writes in Likutei Allah's Rosh Hashanah, Vav Nun Beis, in those moments of weakness, those moments you want to give up and give in, those moments you want to have despair, you have to turn to Hashem and Davin. Let me believe in myself. Let me believe in my capability and capacity. Let me believe in my brighter future. Let me believe that it's not all or nothing and that I shouldn't give up just because I'm struggling in this one area. And he quotes in this beautiful Sefer with the teachings of Rav Nachman on the Parsha, when Yaakov hears he's coming out of him, what does he do? He diversifies. And why does he diversify? So that he won't have to be hopeless and despair. If God forbid Esau is successful and he wipes out one camp, one unit, one segment, Yaakov says, I'm going to survive another day. I'm still here. I have upon which to rebuild. Why? Because I divided and conquered, because I've diversified. Rabbeinu Sha'ag, it's a beautiful song. Rab Nachman screamed, There is no yeish, you can't have despair, you can't give up, you can't ever be hopeless. We have to attack and we have to confront the Yitzhahara the same way Yaakov did with Esav. How? By dividing and diversifying. By saying, you know, my entire religious identity in life is not all or nothing. And therefore, if I skip the daf, I shouldn't skip minion. And if I looked at the thing on the internet, doesn't mean I should fly off the handle with my wife or child. And if I wasn't honest in business, doesn't mean that I shouldn't try still to not talk during Kaddish and Kedusha. It's not all or nothing. The same way that Yaakov's strategy when confronting 
the embodiment of the Yetzirah in Esav was to diversify. Similarly, we can do the same. It's too hard. If you lose it or give up in one, don't give up in everything. Divide and conquer. Realize that in overcoming the Yitzhahara, it's not all or nothing, says Reb Nachman. Megid Yosef, Reb Yosef Sirotskin wonders about the order. Wonders about the order. Rashi tells us, Rashi tells us that Yaakov prepared in three ways. What were they? Doron. What's Doron? A gift. Diplomacy. The minag is when you go to the White House and you meet with the president, you bring a gift. That's the minag. Litfila, you got to dive into Hashem. And if both of those are unsuccessful, what do you have to turn to? You better be prepared for war, gird for war. Ledoron v'tavra mincha apanav, letfila lokea v'yavron l'melchama, v'yem achanen esho lefleita. V'yinei lefi seder apsukim nimtza shekodim hisken atzma l'melchama. V'achakach letfila, ulevasof ledoron. If you look at the order of the psukim, it sounds like the reverse. First he prepared himself for war, divided his camps, made sure they were armed, trained, ready to go. Then he davened, Hashem spare me in the merit of my father and grandfather. And then at the end, here's the gift. Here's the diplomacy. What should we expect a righteous person like Yaakov to do first? What should come first? Davening. First comes davening. Kodesh Baruch Hu is the true arbiter. He's going to determine the outcome. So first you submit and surrender to him, first you dive into Hashem, and then you go through the other exercises of human initiative. And the gesture of the effort towards peace, the diplomacy should come before the signal for war. So why is it in the wrong order? Sukkim seem in the opposite order. Why does Rashi quote it in this order? And he says the following fascinating idea. Vanira api divrei Rashi. Kodesh created the entire ecosystem of condensation and rain, of the earth and the soil, going back to Parsha's breaches. But he didn't press start. He didn't press go. He didn't make it start raining. Why? Until when? What was missing? Man. So what? Why can't the ecosystem of the world operate even before man? Because until there's a person to daven, Hashem doesn't press go. Why do you need a person to daven? Because the person needs to feel they lack, they're missing something. It's only a feeling of lacking, of missing, a feeling of submission and surrender, a feeling of dependence on Hashem that makes tefillah authentic. Tefillah that comes with a sense of arrogance or confidence is not authentic. The Gemara says in several places that three things cause Hashem to examine a person closely. Shlosh three things cause the Kodesh Baruch Hu to be ma'ayin, to be done, to judge a person. What are those three things? If you walk under a bent wall, a crooked, flimsy ladder, why? Kodesh Baruch Hu says to himself, says Rashi, Kodesh Baruch Hu says to himself, this person feels so confident, they're so worthy. They're engaged in such risky behavior. They're so confident they're worthwhile being saved, everything's gonna be okay. Bring me their file. Let me see if I should protect them from this wall that naturally should collapse on their head. Second thing is hamoser al-chavero. Somebody who turns in someone else. Why? You think you're in a position 
to rat on someone else, snitches get stitches. My kids tell each other all the time, snitches get stitches. You can't rat someone out in Judaism. Of course, unless they're a danger. A person is a danger. It's a mitzvah to be Moser. But otherwise, one can't. HaKadosh Baruch says, bring me their file. And what's the third thing the Gemara says? Iyun tefillah. What's meant to Iyun tefillah? What does it mean? Iyun tefillah. What did a person do wrong? It's Machlokas Rashi Tosos there. But what it means is a person who walks out of davening, two people, I was once davening. I was once davening. What's that street on the bottom of Ben Yehuda? Very narrow alley, alleyway. There were some restaurants there. Yo Solomon. There was a little hole in the wall, that minion factory. You could hop a mincha. I was once davening in there. And two hippie-looking guys were davening there. And davening ended. It was a mincha. And the two gave each other a high five. Awesome davening, dude. Great prayer, man. And they walked out. A little skip in their step. Happy. A lot of kavana. Great davening. Hashem is surely going to answer. I'm not judging them. It was a beautiful scene. I remember it many years later. But what the Gemara is saying, Iyun Tefillah, is if a person davened really well, a lot of kavana, really present and mindful for every word they said, and then they walk out and say, you know, I was really connected. Hashem is surely going to answer me. Now he's definitely going to give what I've asked for. You know why? Because I, I daven really well. So Hashem says, you think so? Uh, bring me your file. Let me see whether you're worthy. Why? What's the problem? What's the problem with the attitude that if I daven well, Hashem will surely answer me? Who's in charge? You're then, the whole exercise of davening the whole idea of davening is an exercise in humility. The whole experience of davening is that I submit and I surrender and I say, he's in charge, not me. He's in control, not me. I work for him, he doesn't work for me. But when you say, as long as I daven well and with a lot of kavana, he'll surely answer me, then Hashem is just another check on your checklist. Gotta go to the doctor, gotta go to the pharmacy, gotta tie the red bendel, gotta say, pita maktoros maklaf, I gotta this, I gotta that. Oh, and I gotta daven really well because then everyone will answer me. Everyone will do my bidding. Everyone will respond the way. Hashem is not your pawn. It's not your puppet. He's the one who's in charge and control. Can ask, we do ask. We ask our father, but we don't ask our father on condition that our father, it's like the kid who tells his friend, I just spoke to my father. I, had, I got it, don't worry. I know how to ask him. I know what to say to him. I know how to manipulate him. We got this, don't worry. We got this. If the father's eavesdropping on the kid who says, don't worry, we got this. I just knew exactly what to say. The father says, really? Let me remind him who's boss. So Ian Tfila. So Rav Sarotkin's not quoting any of this, but it's underlying what he's saying. What Rav Sarotkin's saying is, why did Yaakov, why is it Rashi of the tradition? Yaakov first gets ready for war, arms for war, and only then Davins. Because when you get ready for war and you realize what's at stake, that's going to be a different type of davening. Before the Six-Day War, when they dug 100,000 graves throughout Israel and prepared for what could have been the end of Israel, your tefillah after digging those 100,000 graves is a very different tefillah than before. And that's why it's out of order. And so on and so forth. A beautiful explanation he has. Great. So he's getting ready and he says, Hashem save me. Hashem saved 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 me.
Save me from whom? From my brother, from Esav. That seems like a little bit of a redundancy. Isn't your brother Esav? So we've shared many times. What was Yaakov saying? My brother is duplicitous. My brother is two-faced. I don't know which version of my brother I'm going to get. Will I get Miyad Achi or Miyad Esav? I don't know which version I'm going to get. So Hashem, save me Miyad Achi, save me Miyad Esav. If he comes on like he's my brother and I'm vulnerable and I'm going to forget that sometimes he'll stab me in the back and betray me, then save me. And if he's an Esav who confronts me as an enemy, save me. Either way, save me. But listen to this incredible Rokeach the Yotzer Plos HaTorah dug up. The Rokeach, the Rokeach says the following, Davar Pela Ma'ud B'Shem Medrash Agada. Kishabarach Yaakov L'Charam Pnei Esav, when Yaakov ran to Haran, running away from Esav, no lod lo Esav ben. Esav had a son. And you know what the son's name was? Achi. Kedish lo yishkach Yaakov. You know why Esav named his son my brother? So that every time he'd call his son, Achi, time for dinner. Achi, did you do your homework? He would remember, oh, I have a brother and I'm going to get even. So he would never forget the intense feeling of hate that he had towards his brother when he did what he did. He named his son brother to always be mindful he had a brother and he was going to get even. Anyone ever hear, did anyone here ever hear that before? Never heard this, Rokeach. Hey, look at Otsar, I should get royalties on the Otsar Plus Torah. So he had a son, and that's what Yaakov was saying, says the Rokeach. Save me from my nephew Achi, or save me from Esav. Save me from both. So says the Otsar Plus Torah, but now we got a problem. Why? Because we find in Shas several Tanaim and Amoraim whose names were Rabbi Achi Barchanina, Rabbi Achi Ben Yoshia. The Chor Kasha, the Gemara in Yuma, Daflamar Ches tells us, My Veshem Rishayim Yirka of Amar Abelazar, Rakvivas Tala Beshmosam, Dulamaskinim Beshmayu. Rashi said, Lo Yikra Adam of No Shame Adam Rasha. We don't name after a wicked person. We don't name after somebody who was evil. We don't name after a Rasha. So Ketza Nikra Tanam Amaram Elu Beshem Adam Rasha, Ben Oshel Esav. So if Achi is the name of Esav's son, how can we name after Esav's son? So he says, maybe we can answer based on what the Chida writes in Yosef Omitz. So the Chida, this is an important Chida to know. Sometimes people come and they ask a question. There was a grandparent. There was a person that we want to name after, we're being pressured to name after, but they were, they weren't a tzaddik. Let's just say it like that. Can we name after them? So the Chida says, the tradition from the Gemara Yuma that you don't name after a Russia is if embedded in their name, in the etymology of their name, is a negative notion, is rishus. But if it's a neutral name, it just happened to be that your ancestor who was a Russia had it, and now you want to use again that neutral name, then you're allowed to. Also, 
Derachi kishagor befi kol bar berav abenoshel esav yeshmo achi nimshen shtei shemo shonos legamrei. Achi achei acha is different than than Achi, the son of Esav. So again, he dug up fascinating, really interesting. I had never heard that before. Perak Lamed Beis Pasuk Chafei. Lamed Beis Chafei. So he's about to go and encounter and confront and seek to reconcile with his brother. But first he forgets something. What did he forget? He forgot his Pach Shemen. It's an allusion to Hanukkah. He goes back for the jugs that he forgot. You see that Sadiqim Archasa Amamonam, the Jewish neurosis, to not waste money is not just because throughout our exile we've been persecuted, oppressed, and in a position that we couldn't afford to waste any resources, which is true, right? The Jewish taking, you know, taking those sweet and low packets and wrapping up the cake and the napkin to bring back to the room for later. And all, we all know all of the embedded in the Jewish DNA practices of not wasting is not just because we descend from survivors who who understood what it meant to get a, a peel of a potato, every morsel of food, what it means. It's more than just that. It's that we understand the value of resource. We understand what it is. And waste is not just haste. Waste is, is offensive to Hashem. So the Chazal tell us, Tzadikim Archasa Amamonam. You'd think that the wealthier you are, you can afford to waste, but you can't. It's Hashem's world. Where do you direct those resources? What good can be done with them? What can we bring out of them? So Yaakov is not just cheap. That's why he goes back to get his Pach Shemen. He's teaching us a very powerful lesson about resources and preserving and protecting them and using them and channeling them. He goes back, Vayivaser Yaakov Livado. Some suggest reading it, not Livado, but Likado, to go back to get his Kad Shemen, to go go back. And what happens? Vayavek Yishimo Shachar. And he wrestles with a man the entire night. He wrestles with a man the entire night. He goes back. So we all know the story. Did it happen or not? Is this story true? Are we meant to believe it happened? Or is it a metaphor? Is it a dream? Is it a prophecy? Did it really happen? So the Rambam and Mor Nevuchim, the Rambam and Nevuchim, in the second Sefer, Perak Memalaf writes, know again that in the case of everyone about whom exists a, spirit, a scriptural text, that an angel talked to him or that speech came to him from God, it did not occur in any other way than in a dream or a vision of prophecy. The Rabbam holds in all these cases. Bilam did not speak, Bilam's donkey did not speak to him. And the snake did not speak to Chava. And Yaakov did not wrestle with an angel. Says the Rabbam, all these things are meant to be taken metaphorically. They're meant to be taken as a prophecy. They did not happen literally. The Ramban is very unhappy. The Ramban takes enormous issue with the Rambam. And the Ramban writes, It is forbidden to hear them, let alone believe them. The Rambam for this and other, at the time, radical positions. We know the Rambam's books were burnt. When we sit on the floor on Tisha B'av, and we say, and we cry and lament of all the volumes of Talmud that were burnt in Paris. Rabbeinu Yonah says that that was a punishment from Hashem for the burning of the books of the Rambam. The Rambam said what was considered to be many radical things at the time, this among them. So Ramban says, God forbid, not only that you believe them, God forbid you even hear them. Basically Goldberg, 
why'd you read the Rambam in the Parsha class? You have no right to repeat that Rambam. God forbid we should believe it. And then the Ramban asks a very compelling question. If all of this is really a matter of a prophetic vision, so when Yaakov walks away with a limp, why is he limping? If it was a prophecy or a dream, if it's a metaphor, why is Yaakov limping? So why in the world would Yaakov say, I've seen God face to face and my life was preserved? Prophets would not fear they might die from prophetic vision. It's a pretty compelling question of the Ramban. If it was all a dream or prophecy, why in the world is Yaakov limping? So the Rabag, Rabbeinu Levi ben Gershon, offers an explanation. Listen to this Rabag. I dug up this Rabag, not the Otsuplosa Chachma, HaTorah. I didn't dig it up. I must have seen someone else who dug it up. He suggests that the limp was not a consequence of the dream. The limp actually preceded the dream. The Gemara tells us that we dream based on what we're thinking about in our subconscious when we're awake. What do we dream about at night? What we're thinking about. That happens to me all the time. When you have a dream, a strange dream, all you have to do is think about what might have been in your mind, what was the last conversation you had before you fell asleep, what are you worried about in your conscious or subconscious, and that's what we tend to dream about. What we experience influences and shapes our dreams. So the Rabag suggests that Yaakov had hurt his leg, right? He twisted his ankle when he was going back for the Pach Shemen, for the Pachim Ketanim. Yaakov uh, hurt his leg, and he dislocated his hip, and then when he had this dream, he had a dream that incorporated that reality of the injured hip into the dream. So the limp wasn't the result of the dream. The limp is actually the cause or what precipitated the dream. That is a wild rabag. That's fascinating. But I want to tell you the Yabar Benel. Don Yitzchak Yabar Benel. The Yabar Benel has yet another interpretation. The Yabar Benel says, you can answer in this way. Says the Abar Benel, our imagination creates reality. There's research that shows today that that's true. We didn't need the research. It's true because Torah tells us it's true. But the research confirms this. The dreams, think about the phenomenon of placebo effect. You know the placebo effect. Every major biotechnological study incorporates placebo. To one part of the population, you give the drug, you're testing. To the other, you give placebo, sugar water, sugar pill. And you see, those who think they're taking the real thing but take a placebo often have an improvement too. How much greater is the improvement of those who got the real drug over those who took the placebo, right? You can have a kid who doesn't feel why he insists they need medicine, give them a tic-tac and tell them it's a Tylenol, and they'll tell you that their headache got better. It's called the placebo effect. Adults, same thing. Ailments ranging from pain and depression to Parkinson's disease have been improved through the placebo effect. In a study, Crawford measured brainstem activity with high-resolution MRI in participants as they rated the pain of a hot stimulus applied to their arm. The team conditioned participants to think three types of cream had been applied to their arm. A pain-relieving cream, with lidocaine, a heat intensifying cream with 
capsicane, and Vaseline? The answer should have been none of them because they were all actually Vaseline, which is completely harmless, often soothing. This means that any perceived difference in pain came only as a result of, result of placebo. Placebo effect influenced activity in the same brainstem circuit, but in opposite ways. The strength of the placebo effect was linked to increased activity in an area called something of the medulla and decreased activity in the nucleus and, uh, and made people feel like it was less painful. It's not only true for physical ailments, but mentally as well. There's a new study, patients with social anxiety who were assured that antidepressants would help them were much more likely to feel better than those who didn't receive such assurances. Despite receiving exactly the same treatment, almost four times as many patients responded to the treatment when correct information about the drug was given. So basically what the Abarbanel says is that you could believe like the Rambam. You could believe it was all a dream. But you know what happened? What we dream about, what we think about, what we fantasize about, what we put our imagination to creates a reality. The placebo effect happened to Yaakov Avinu. The Hebrew word Adam is rooted in the word Dimyon, which means imagination. Dovber Pinson suggests that what does it mean to be an Adam? What it means to be a human being who is created in the divine imagination is to also create using imagination. We are created by the divine imagination and we imitate God by creating with our imagination. Just like we are the results of Hashem's imagination, we can imitate Hashem when we create with our imagination. And we have the ability to create with our imagination. We can create reality. Reality with the placebo effect and reality with our dreams. And all this comes from a fascinating Abarbanel that maybe, that maybe Yaakov Avinu woke up with a limp, even if it was all a dream, because psychosomatic, right? The whole impact of psychosomatic disorders. There's a big controversy among fibromyalgia about other diseases. Are they, I'm not weighing in, don't email me if you struggle with Shlema from fibromyalgia, but there's a big debate. Sometimes you have patients who present with so many ailments and every test they do show there's nothing wrong and doctors conclude, sometimes correctly, sometimes incorrectly, unfairly and cruelly, that it's all psychosomatic. Psychosomatic, something else going on with you, it's all in your head. Psychosomatic, essentially the Abarbanel is concluding that Yaakov Avinu was experiencing something psychosomatic. But if that's true for the negative, it can equally also be true for the positive. We can use the power of our dimyon. If you want to really be an Adam, to be an Adam Milashon dimyon is to actually engage that power of, of uh, the power of the imagination. The power of the imagination. That's what it means. That's what it means. As a result, we don't eat the Giranasha. I always quote the Chizkuni. Why don't we eat the Giranasha? The sciatic nerve, we traber, why don't we eat the Giranasha? To commemorate what? The limp. What about the limp? So most people think, even though they've heard me every year say this, most people think, you know why we don't need to get Giranasha to commemorate the limp? Because this alter ego of Esav wanted to kill Yaakov. He survived. Let's not eat. Cheskuni wonders. I don't understand. Everything else on the Jewish calendar, everyone knows the old Jewish joke. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. Purim, Hanukkah, Pesach. That's every yontif. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. That is 
the motto of every yontif. So they tried to kill him. He survived. Let's not eat. That doesn't make sense. So why don't we eat the Gidanasha? Cheskuni says, you have it all wrong. It's not because Yaakov survived. It's because Yaakov almost died. And why did Yaakov almost die? What's the key word? Vayivaser Yaakov Livado. Why was he alone? Because Yaakov says to his 12 children, I got to take out the garbage. Anyone want to help? And they'll say, oh, but I'm so tired. I'm already changed. I'm already in bed. But I'm cool, comfortable sitting on the couch. So Yaakov goes back. And how does he go back? Le, levado. So we remember forever, says Sechizkuni, we don't need to get Anasha to remember that what? He was levado. A Jew never leaves another Jew alone. A Jew never leaves another Jew to go by themselves. A Jew never abandons another Jew. We don't need to get Anasha not to celebrate a victory, but to know just how close we came to losing Avinu, Yaakov, because we left him levado. That word levado, we've spoken about in the past, we won't revisit now, has good and bad. On the other hand, Yaakov has an enormous spiritual breakthrough. Why? Because he's levado. He's practicing some hisbodudus. He wrestles through the night. How does he wrestle? By himself. When do we wrestle? We don't wrestle when we're in a crowded room, when we're in conversation. We don't wrestle with ourselves at the Kiddush. When do we wrestle with ourselves? When we're alone. When do people have the biggest breakthrough thoughts? When they're davening, when they're in the shower, and when they're falling asleep. What do all three have in common? You're alone with your thoughts. You're not listening, you're not watching, you're not talking to anyone else. All three, you're alone with your thoughts. And that's why we have the biggest breakthrough thoughts in those moments. In those moments, falling asleep in the shower while davening. So Yaakov is levado. Hopefully you're not doing all three at the same time. But Yaakov has, vayivasar Yaakov levado. Yaakov breaks through in this battle with Esav because Davka, he was levado. He was alone in that moment. Let's see what else we'll get in here. Yisrael. Hashem changes his name to Yisrael. Kisarisa im, because you wrestled and you won, which is a funny name to give, because you wrestled and you won. That's why he gives them the name, because it should have been because you won, not because you wrestled. What do you see from here? The import, we're, we're, our name, Yisrael is, we're a people that wrestle. We're a people that battle. We're a people that don't give up and don't give in. We are a people that believe in ourselves. We don't despair and we're never hopeless. Yisrael ki sarisa. But also embedded in the name Yisrael is Yaakov's name is changed to Yisrael. Sheyasofa avos. Roshay teva shashmosa avos imos in Yisrael. Yud is Yitzchak. The uh, sin is Sarah. Resh is Rivka and Rachel. Aleph is Avram. Lamed is Leah. So you see the Roshay tevos of our matriarchs and patriarchs, Yisrael, Yaakov embodies all of our avos and imos because embedded in his name, Yisrael is Rashi Tevos for all of them, all of them together, all of them as one, all of them as one. Uh, Skip ahead, Perak Lamed Hay, Pasuk Beis. Lamed Hay Beis, spoiler alert, he survives when he reunites with Esav. They're going to Beit El, and Yaakov turns to his family and he says, Listen up, everybody, get rid of the idols. Get up, get rid of the idols. 
get rid of the idols, cleanse yourself, change your clothing, we are out of here. Says the Yotzeplos HaTorah, he quotes from Rabbeinu Ephraim, on the Baliatosos. He brings a gematria. Elohei Nechar, get rid of your idolatry, is big gematria. Elohei Nechar is the same gematria as, anyone want to guess? Yeshu. Yashka, Jesus. You're allowed to say Jesus in a shul. The Bira Gra quotes on Shulchan Arach. You know why you could say it in a shul? Because that's how he got an aliyah when he was called to the Torah. Yeshu, Jesus was Jewish. Yeshua, that was his name. The Bira Gra quotes, you could say his name. His second name, you can't say, because that means deity or God that we don't believe in. So C, you can't say. J, Yeshu, Jesus, you can say. The Gra said it, because that was his name. That was his Yiddish Anuman, that was his Jewish name. Anyway, Yeshu in Gamatria is Elohei Nechar. When Yaakov says, get rid of the idolatry, purge it, destroy it, purify yourself from it. Says Rabbeinu Ephraim, that was a, a illusion that was already pretending to a time, get rid of Yeshu. Rabbeinu Ephraim heard from Rabbeinu Tam that one time the Shaul of Sarah Chalom, in Yeshu v'imo Miriam near Mezubatorah, Rabbeinu Ephraim says he once heard from Rabbeinu Tam that he asked an angel in a dream, are Jesus and his mother Miriam alluded to in the Torah? And the, the angel said, yes, Elohei Nechar Haaretz is Gematria Yeshu u Miriam. This is Otsaplos HaTorah. Helega Hasidish Yid quoting from Rabbeinu Ephraim, quoting from Rabbeinu Tam. That there's an allusion to Jesus and Miriam in the Torah, our parasha, get rid of the Elohei Nechar. Also, it says, Losavi Esnan Zona Umechir Kelev, Gematria Yeshu, Mechir Chulfan. Don't, uh, don't adopt or follow, their, or follow their way. Being hacked a little bit online. Okay, maybe that's a sign that we stop here. Padana Ran, I have to say one more. One more vote, one more vote, because it connects to something we said earlier. I love this idea. One more. Where does the time go? You're wondering. At least I'm wondering. One more. Here it is. Ela b'nei Yaakov asher yulalop b'adanaram. Perak l'amen hei pasak chavav. These are the children of Yaakov who were born to him in Padanaram. Says the Chizkuni, I, Binyamin, lona l'adanaram. Why does the Torah list all the children of Yaakov as that being born in Padanaram? Binyamin was not born in Padanaram. You know why the Torah associates Binyamin with being born in Padanaram? Because that's where Rachel davened for him to be conceived. Says Ragadaya Eisenman, the Mashkiach of Kol Torah. You see an incredibly important um, Yisod from here that the real birth of something is not when we get it. The real birth of something, its conception, is when we daven for it. It's when we daven for it. You know, we, we tend to, we find ourselves that we, um, we daven for things and then the next day we daven for the next things and then the next day we daven for the new things and the next day we daven for the new, new things we need. But do we ever stop and pause and realize that the brachas of today are the answer to the tefillos of yesterday? Do we ever pause to realize my tefillos are being answered? They've been answered. And I'm grateful for their having been answered. Do we ever realize that that which I got today, you got news that a grandchild got engaged, a great-grandchild was born, a job that you got, a shirach was made. Do you realize, wow, when I was davening under my chuppah that I would have grandchildren, 
Thank you, Hashem. When was that grandchild born? The date on the calendar that their birth certificate says? No, when you davened under the chuppah that you would have grandchildren or whenever it was. We have to draw that line and connect those dots in order to realize that that which we have, the brachas that we're blessed to get, are the answers to the tefillos that we and those who before us offered. And that's what the Chizkuni says. How can you say Binyamin was born in Padan Aram? What do you mean all of Yaakov's children were born in Padan Aram? Binyamin was not born in Padan Aram. Yes, he was. You know why? Rachel was davening to have another child in Padan Aram. So the tefillah, Binyamin was born in Padan Aram. Binyamin was born in Padan Aram. You should know. And, and we should pay that forward. Our children and grandchildren need to know that the brachas of their life is because they had parents and grandparents who davened when they lit the candles, who davened when they came out of the mikvah, who davened when they were Moser Nefesh, who davened under the chuppah, who davened in so many ways. That's when they were born. The brachas that they're receiving and experiencing were conceived, they were born even earlier when those tefillahs were offered. There's a lot more to share about that. Wishing everyone a fantastic day. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.